It is an incredible joy to be here this morning. I'm Dennis Jackson, and uh, I have so many great memories of this place. I met my very best friend and my wife-to-be in this place. Uh, she's down right here. She was ordained in September. She's headed to Romania this afternoon to uh, participate in a women and clergy conference. And uh, my life was radically changed, if for no other reason at this place, but because I met her uh, some 36, 37 years ago. We've been married 36 years, and uh, it's just a great joy. I also met my other best friend, uh, Dr. Wayne Schmidt, who's, who's the vice president of the seminary. And uh, Dr. Schmidt and Gwen and I used to date together, the three of us. Awkward, <laughs> awkward, okay? Wayne could never figure out why we dropped him off first. Like, says a little bit about why he's in academic, academic things now. So anyway, um, I had the privilege of serving with Global Partners. I was a pastor for 29 years. Always thought I would be a pastor. But I remember the day that my wife and I were sitting at the table, and we said simultaneous to each other, it's time for us to leave. And it wasn't just leaving a church that we were leaving. We knew that we were actually leaving pastoral ministry. And it wasn't long before we were in Europe as the European area directors and then was elected to this position two and a half years ago. Global Partners brings global focus to the mission of the Wesleyan Church around the world in 90-some countries. And our whole goal is to help people to be made new, which is what we're all about. And uh, just singing these songs this morning, just so challenged again about the mission and why we give ourselves to it. So grateful for this week, and, and you're going to be challenged in so many ways, and I get a couple of times to talk for these, these moments we have together, but, but I want you to lean into what God might be saying to you this week. And we have a great team that's here. In fact, I'm going to have my team stand up, if you will. Jim uh, Helvey's where you guys, Mike and Cindy too, uh, right here. They're all here to serve you guys. Yeah. We're all a bunch of Iowa graduates. In fact, some of us were Marion College graduates, but, uh, so it's been a while. But you know what? Uh, we really are here to serve you. And uh, I love being able to be with Dr. Lowe, Global Partner Missionary, for so many years. Dr. Norm Wilson, who's also a great partner of ours, and so many people that have teamed up with us. Jim Vermilia uh, was on my staff when we were in church. And, and again, just so grateful to have this time to be here and uh, to just present the Word of God. Before I get going, though, I want to share with you three big reflections that I share everywhere I go in the world. And here's the first one, and that is that God is always on mission. He's always about making people new. In fact, everyone who hears can be made new. And our goal is to proclaim the message. Our goal is to get it out there. And we do that in a lot of different ways that make a difference, that point people to Jesus. And he's always on mission. I get off mission. I get distracted, but he never does. Here's a second reflection. God's already knows everything. I get surprised once in a while. How many of you have been surprised since the, this semester started even? Like something's kind of surprised. Yeah, okay, right? God's never surprised. I had somebody recently that resigned from our team a couple of years ago, and I didn't see it coming. And I went before the Lord, and I said, Lord, I did not see this coming like how did this happen? And the Lord said to me, I didn't see it happening either. You know, no, 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 no. Actually, he didn't say that. He had a plan all worked out. He'd been working on for a number of months that I just became aware of so that we could take and find somebody to fill that place. God already knows. He knows you so intimately that the third thing I want to share with you is that is that God is always in conversation. 
God is always engaged in conversation. I really believe that in this moment that we have together, it's just a slice of a conversation that he's already begun with many of you, and he'll continue to have the conversation after these brief moments are together, which is an amazing thought when you think about it. The God of the universe knows us so intimately and cares about us so much that he speaks to us. Now, for some of you, that may be a little bit freaky, okay? Maybe you've had some crazy experience, or maybe you've had one of those times, felt like God spoke to you, you were supposed to do something, you did it, it didn't work, and you're like, oh man, was that bad pizza the night before, or what, you know? It's like Lily Tomlin, the comedian one time, she said, why is it that when we talk to God, it's called prayer, but when God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia, you know? <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, He does speak to us, and I've had crazy experiences where people came up and said, God told me to tell you that, you know, and it was kind of like, whoa, kind of like to wait for God to tell me that, because it was pretty freaky what you just said, you know? But deep down in our hearts, we all want to hear from God, don't we? More and more, I'm running into people that don't even know Christ, who long to hear the voice of a creator God, who's that intimately acquainted with us that he would even speak to us. So here's the deal. I'm gonna ask you to, in advance to say yes to whatever he says to you. Can we do that? Like, why fight with God, right? I mean, I've done that before where you're like, I'm gonna argue with him. He tends to win, okay? Like, it's not really a big competition. Like, he, he can nail it, okay? So why don't we just all agree to say yes to whatever he says to us? Can you say yes with me? Yes. Say it again. Yes. Okay, so you already said it, got you there on that one. So. Let's look at the Word of God, and I want us to see Jesus, because you know what? He's what it's all about. And we're talking this week about harvesting love, this, this whole theme, and it's sort of this radical thing. So in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, in fact, 37 was just read for us, we find this passage so amazing. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Into his harvest field. I want to talk to you about radical immersion because that's what happens in this passage. The first thing that, this is so simple, you can find this, any of you. Jesus went. That's, that's the first two words. Jesus went. He actually went. He took the initiative to go somewhere, which is kind of crazy because really Jesus could have set up a huge tabernacle, a big place like this, and filled it day after day, night after night. And in fact, we know that he had crowds that were easily over 10,000, some of them maybe up to 20, 25,000 people who came to hear him speak. But Jesus actually went to them. He didn't wait for them to come to him which is what our God always does. He always takes initiative. He always goes first. He chooses to go, to be engaged with our lives. And, and I love that. There's so much power in going. It's why a lot of you will have an opportunity to do some short-term ministry, and maybe some of you already have. I wanna encourage you to do that. Every time somebody goes out, their life has changed. Every time you go out and you see some of the world, every time you go, it's impacted. None of our missionaries who serve with us will tell you, uh, they'll all tell you that it was on a short-term mission experience that God wrecked them. And they knew it might not be that exact place where they go, but they will have to go somewhere. 
Now, I just warn you, it'll wreck your life if you go there, especially if you process it well, and people like Jim Vermillion, Dr. Lowe can really help you with those kind of things. I thought of Jessica Spicer. She's a graduate from here. She's serving in Albania right now. She was a business development, kind of a development-type person, and, and she got to Albania, and she was there for a two-week trip. She stayed six weeks longer because she was so wrecked by it. She said, I can't leave. She said goodbye to the rest of the team and stayed behind. It was an Iwu team. She went back the next year, and guess what? She's serving there full-time now, and she's just knocking the ball out of the park, and you say, Albania, that's Europe. That's cool. No, we serve in this place that's called the Kinet. It literally means swamp. There's 50,000 people who live there, and there's no church in there except the Wesleyan Church that's been starting small group churches. And Jessica's just dove in. Now, that doesn't sound so bad, but you need to understand, the reason they call it the swamp is because there's open sewage trenches that go down the street. The water supply is plastic PVC pipes that literally they just turn on a couple times a day and it spurts out in the places where it's broken and people hold buckets to collect water that you really don't want to have. Our missionaries there have had every type of giardia that was ever known to man and some that shouldn't be known to man. And Jessica, who is this beautiful young woman, it just dove in because she went on a short-term trip and it wrecked her life and she had to go back for the long term. Jesus went. I, I love this about him. He takes the risk. He's the one that steps out. Where are you going? Where are you stepping out? Where are you going? We're just talking about surrendering our lives. Are you willing to go wherever he calls you to go? Here's the second thing. Jesus engaged. He taught. He healed. He touched. I love this about him. You know, I travel to different places in the world, and, and this whole idea of greeting people and stuff is way different everywhere I go. Like I was in Spain. We have churches there. They came, a lot of them, from Argentina. And if you know anything about the Latino culture, it's a very embracing culture, right? I mean, you go down there. I walk into the church. I've never been there before. Every girl, every woman comes up to me, kisses me on both sides of the cheek, you know, and, and I'm just like, whoa, you know, like I just got back from Japan where, you know, you bow, you don't shake hands, you don't hug, you don't embrace. In fact, I had a long trip through India and Japan, and when I got home, when my wife picked me up at the airport, I just held her forever. Man, I hadn't been hugged in a long time. They, they say you need, like, what, 25, 30 meaningful touches every day? That's not like one, two, three, four. That's like, whoa, you know, and I'd gone through this bowing thing, like, and how low do you go? I was trying to figure that out, you know? We lived in Hungary for three years, and in Hungary, once somebody gets to know you, they do the air kiss, which is the cheek to cheek. And you don't really like kiss on the cheek, but you touch the cheek and you kiss the air. We had this crazy landlord. She's just an amazing, expressive woman, loves the Lord with all of her heart and everything. And I could tell that we were getting close. And I know she's going to do this to me, right? You know? And you got to figure out which way is this thing going, right? You got to know, like, if they go that way, you got to go that way too, you know, and stuff like that. So I'm like watching people in the malls. I'm watching people out there, you know, right or left, right or left. I got it figured out. I'm nailing them. It's consistent everywhere I go. And here she comes. I come back from a trip. She's coming at me. And I'm going, here it is, you know. And I went right. She went left and right on the lips. <laughs> Tell you what, she laughed. I had nightmares for weeks. <laughs> But you got to know which way it's going. Touch is so important. And Jesus didn't just preach. He didn't just teach. 
He healed every kind of disease. Jesus didn't mind touching the untouchable. He didn't mind touching the spoiled, the undesirables. In fact, one of my favorite stories of Jesus is the time when a leper comes to him. And you remember with the lepers back in those days, you know, they had to stay a minimum of 20 feet away. They had to shout, unclean, unclean, so that nobody got close. And this leper's crying out, Jesus, please heal me. And Jesus gets close to him, and what does he do? He touches him. He didn't say, be healed. In fact, I would have been like, be healed, <laughs> way back there, <laughs> gotcha. Now Jesus went up to him, and before he healed him physically, he touched him. Think about it. They never got touched, ever. How would you like to be around? I mean, right now, some of you are touching people, a little inappropriately a couple of places, but <laughs> I mean, you came in, you probably shook hands, you saw somebody, you hugged, you, you, I mean, whatever. You're even close enough that nobody's sitting 20 feet from anybody, nobody. Uh, one guy up in the balcony, but... Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You've bumped into people even today, and you will on the way out. What if you were never touched? What was the most important thing Jesus did in that moment? Was it that he healed him physically? Or was it that he touched him emotionally? If you go wherever he tells you to go, it won't be convenient. It won't always be clean. It won't always be nice. It won't always be something you really want to do. But Jesus didn't just go. He got engaged. He didn't just teach. He touched. Because he cared so much about people that he would go to any extreme to change their life. So Jesus went Jesus engaged. I, I can't help but think of this Ebola crisis that we're in right now. Some of you read that news, you know, and it hits the paper here because it's the news here because somebody in Philadelphia, somebody in New York, somebody in Dallas, three cases. Hundreds and thousands of cases in Guinea and Sierra Leone and Liberia. The collateral damage is that a lot of people won't even take regular illnesses to the hospitals anymore because they're afraid they'll get Ebola. And so we have children dying of normal dehydration kind of things that would be easily healed if they'd go to the hospital, but they won't because there's so much fear. And right in the middle of that, a gal named Carrie Jo, who's a very qualified nurse, has just said, put me on the front lines. Put me on the front lines. She gets it. She knows all the precautions. You know, I just read an article about Doctors Without Borders, many of them Christ followers. So many of them have died. You know why? Because they dove in at the deepest levels early on without some of the protection that they have now because they didn't know what they were dealing with, but they weren't afraid to touch and heal. Hands of Jesus. So Jesus went, Jesus engaged, Jesus third saw. You know, we kind of see what we want to see, don't we? Like, I love Mini Coopers. I love Mini Coopers. I don't have one. Well, I do have a really little one. My kids got me a Matchbox one, I think it was. 
<clears throat> but I, I see them everywhere, right? I, I mean, Chad has one, you know, and he'll sell it to you because it's a piece of, well, whatever, it's been a lemon for him. <laughs> I see them everywhere. I'll just say, we'll be driving down the road, and I go, Minnie. And Gwen will go, what, what? I go, Minnie. She goes, what? Minnie. Never mind, it's a long ways past now, you know. But I see them everywhere. It's like deer hunters. How many of you are deer hunters? Anybody out here are deer hunters? Yeah, you know how you spot deer? That's awesome. Spot deer, like people, I saw two deer on the way up here. They have to almost hit my car before I see them, you know. Uh, you know, and there's a bit, look over there, there's like 12 deer. Like, those are not deer, those are trees or cows or something, you know. But they see them, you know, because why? They're looking for them. They're trained to see them. Well, what do you see when you see people? What is it that opens your eyes to the needs around you? Is it, is it something that, that really captures your heart when you see people how they are? I was just in India where we have this amazing school up in an area called Gujarat, north of Mumbai. And, 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 and years ago, the pastor's wife got a, a dream of starting a school because there were so many children who didn't have education opportunities. Today, over 2,000 children attend that school. But one of the commitments they made at the very beginning was they would provide schooling for some children who were the lowest of the lowest. And if you know anything about India, there's the caste system and, and there's all these layers. Well, at the very, very bottom of social strata. The children that are at that level are the children of prostitutes. And they said, we'll make room for those children. We'll always have five or 10 spots for those kind of kids. The school only started with about 17 or 19 students, but they had five students that came in who were the children of prostitutes. Here's the crazy thing. Not one of them even had a name. They didn't even name them because they had so little value. So they were able to give them biblical names and give them hope and give them promise and remind them that they could be different, that, 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 that Jesus could touch them and make them completely new. And they said, we're not going to look around just to build a great school and, and try to you know, minister to all the people that can afford the school. We're going to go to the lower ones who can't. We're going to go to the lowest of the lowest of the lowest because they saw these children and they knew there was no hope apart from Christ. How do you see the people around you? I was just in Japan and, and crazy affluence. You know, most of the stuff in your pockets has been designed by them or the Chinese and the phones and stuff like that. The highest suicide rate in the world in Japan. I was in Tokyo, the city, the city area is 35 million people. Less than 1% Christian. On any given subway car, there's 100 people. One of them might be a Christ follower. Our missionary there said to me, what's your impression? I said, it just seems like they have everything, but I've never met so many people who had nothing when I look into their eyes. I say, no, God. There's a lot of missionaries here, but what's the result? Where's the fruit? What has to happen for people to see Jesus in this culture? Jesus saw the people and he said they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Distressed, downcast, like sheep without a shepherd. And here he is, the good shepherd. Here he is, the great shepherd. And he says, man, you could be made new. You could be totally different. Your life could have a total different trajectory. 
Jesus saw the people for who they were, and then it says this, that Jesus felt compassion for them. The word is the deepest possible word to be used. It literally means to be physically ill. It means to be just wrecked. You ever had one of those times where you're just so moved by something that you're like, I've got to step away. I think I'm going to throw up. That's how deep this word is. It's not the first time Jesus was broken by this kind of thing. You remember the time he came into the city of Jerusalem, and before he got there, he looks over and says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would have loved to have gathered you like a, 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 like a mother hen gathers her chicks, and you wouldn't come to me. I have so much to offer, and you won't receive it. And it says that he wept. But that's not the only time he wept over the city. Remember the day of the triumphal entry? Crazy day where they're spreading out their, their coats and, and, and waving the palm branches and, and hail King of the Jews. I mean, here he comes, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're singing this song. At one point, the Pharisees say, stop your disciples from saying all this thing. And Jesus says, if I do, the very rocks will cry out and praise to me. Luke records that just when they turn, as they're coming to the city of Jerusalem, just make a turn there. It says again that Jesus wept over the city. In the midst of the celebration, it's your happy day. Jesus is broken again because he sees the people. I'm sure he knows what's going to happen in just a few days. But he was so on mission that he just was moved with compassion, broken for the lostness. Tim and Tiffany Gallant, who used to serve here as the missionaries in residence, serving in Cambodia, where basically an entire generation was destroyed. They literally killed anybody who had educational degrees. If you wore glasses, you were considered an intellectual, and they killed you. They wiped out all of the potential leadership, and about all that was left was the lowest again of the lowest. Corruption moved in in such high ways. There's more aid. That's the number one gross national product is aid from outside. And you just feel like, what could turn this around? Christ. Christ, but we could use more workers there, more people who invest. We, we've even talked about, do we begin schools for children to retrain an entire generation that, that, that hasn't had the opportunities, that doesn't have fathers and grandfathers and, and a generation that was wiped out? And when I see that and when I land there, i just, again, broken. And when I'm in the Turkic Arabic world, where our mission teams are serving with such focus, with such clear strategy, with amazing movements of prayer. But the results are so slow. We're praying for some breakthrough, but we're having people come to Christ after five, seven, even 15 years of faithful witness. While meanwhile, every single day, people die and go into a Christless eternity. 
And we're begging and saying, oh, God. When I listen to our missionaries there share how they had so faithfully witnessed, and they record every witnessing opportunity that they have because they're just trying to find some point of success to say, well, we're sharing our faith. And they're doing wonderful things to minister to the communities and stuff. But when they're just there and just saying, oh, God, please, and how few had come to Christ. And I saw the longing of their heart. And I felt their feelings of compassion. And I recognized the heart of Jesus. Now I want you to see a pattern here. Jesus went. Jesus engaged. Jesus saw then Jesus felt. A lot of us are waiting for the feeling. A lot of us, are, I, I've been in prayer meetings, I've prayed this prayer. Oh Lord, give me a burden for those who don't know you. Oh God, break my heart for the things that break your heart. Oh God, and we pray all those kind of things. That never gets answered. Never. Because we don't just get a burden placed on us. It happens when we go and when we engage and when we begin to see what the real needs are and meet real people that all of a sudden our heart is so broken, we have to do something about this. You can pray all day today. Oh, God, give me a burden. Maybe he'll drop one on you. But when you go out and engage with real people and begin to hear their stories and know that they could be made new, your heart will break like his broke. You'll be moved with compassion. And so that radical immersion always is a pathway about choices that you make. It's a choice to go. It's a choice to engage. It's a choice to see differently than what everybody sees. And so Jesus gave this prayer. He directed a prayer to pray. And this is really, really simple. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Notice that he doesn't say that they'll have burden for it. He says that they'll be sent because if they go, right, if they, if they go, then they'll engage, they'll, they'll begin to see, then they'll begin to have their heart moved. And so it's just this simple kind of prayer. There's an urgency to it. So two prayers, two thoughts here. One is this, pray the prayer. Lord, use me today. What if every day you woke up and just said, before you climbed out of bed, or maybe after you climbed out of bed, maybe after you poured the first cup of coffee over your head, Lord, use me today. Use me today. God would love to answer that prayer. And I'll bet if you would pray that prayer, he would help you to go to certain places and get engaged and begin to see and begin to feel. Lord, use me today. I want to be available. I want to be willing. I want to be open to you. Lord, send me as a worker today. I, I, I want to be used by you. God will answer that prayer. And here's the second thing. Some of you need to answer that prayer. Some of you need to go. Some of you need to go into the city of Marion or Gas City, somewhere in this region. Some of you need to go back to wherever home is and start entering into places that you wouldn't normally go, that you wouldn't normally see, that you wouldn't normally engage with. Some of you need to go overseas. Everywhere I go, I issue the same challenge because here's what I understand. Doctors inspire people to be doctors. Teachers inspire people to be teachers. 
In fact, I've yet to meet somebody who went into teaching that didn't talk about that my third grade teacher, my eighth grade teacher, they just inspired me. I thought that day, I want to be a teacher just like them. Carpenters inspire people to be carpenters. My dad is a carpenter, and in his day, he's getting kind of old now, but in his day, man, he could just build anything out of wood so beautifully. My son is now doing woodworking. And he'll talk all the time about his grandpa and how inspiring it was to him. Well, who inspires people to be missionaries? Missionaries do. And we're issuing a challenge to you. Go. Be sent. Answer the prayer. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. That didn't change. That didn't change. It's still the same. And I can't promise you that every place you go is going to be this amazing, easy kind of thing. I can't promise you that you'll go and it'll just be real friendly and easy. And I can't tell you you'll have instant results. You know, everybody wants to go to one of those kind of places, you know. Everybody wants to go to the place where you, you do vacation Bible school and 200 kids come every day and 800 of them receive Christ, you know. And, and it's a great story to tell. Some of you need to go to places where first two years, you'll hardly be able to share your faith because you're being just beat up by the language trying to learn that and everything, and the day will come when you'll be able to share your faith more clearly, but it might take a really long time, and you won't see this great fruitfulness, but we're recalled to go everywhere, not just where it's easier, fun, or best. Some of you need to answer that prayer. Say, Lord, send me. You already said yes if God's speaking to you. For some of you, he initiated a conversation before you got here today, and you've already been thinking about this, maybe troubled by it, maybe resistant to it. But in this slice of a moment, he spoke to you. Say yes. For some of you, it's the beginning of a conversation. For some of you, it's been a conversation that's been going on for quite a while. It's time to say yes to the next step. It's time to talk to one of our mobilizers or somebody else that can really help you to take those next steps. We're doing this talk back thing in Century Dining or Century something over somewhere over there. You want to talk back about it? We'll talk back about it, you know. From 11 to 1, drop in anytime. Talk to our team. I'll be there. My wife will be there. We'd love to have you there. You keep saying yes to Jesus, you'll be somewhere else. He wants to use you. And if he's been speaking to you, say yes to whatever the next step is. Say yes. Stand with me, will you please? Bow your heads in prayer. It's a big place, and I'm not going to ask you to do anything radical today, but if you would just say to me, you know what, would you pray for me because God's speaking to me. I'm not sure exactly what that means, or I know exactly what that means. But today you said yes. Just raise your hand really fast, and I'm just going to start over here and look. Yep, yep, all through the balcony. I'm going to come over here and look. That's you. Just raise your hand. Okay, Father, I pray that just as you see these hands... I know that you've also seen these hearts. So continue the conversation, Holy Spirit, that you've initiated. 
I pray that they wouldn't be satisfied to have just said yes, but they'll actually take some action. They'll actually go talk to somebody, maybe one of our mobilizers, maybe somebody else throughout this week. Maybe they already know what they need to do exactly, and they've been holding back. Maybe they've been just pursuing you like crazy, and you've just sealed something in their heart today. For whatever it is, you've seen the hands, you know their hearts. Lord, send them. And only you know how much that will do to make people new. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read from Psalm 36. It says, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. So just let the Lord's love um, challenge you onto the pathway of radical immersion as you go throughout this week. Just a reminder, um, the talkback is in Century Dining Hall, 11 to 1, and tonight at 7.30 in the Globe Theater is worship and a talk from Destiny Rescue. So we'd love to see you there. You're sent out.